I just do really encourage you to sign up to a life group. You know, um, we learned loads when we were at Causeway Coast Vineyard, and one of the things um, Alan said to us was, if people don't plug in, if they don't join a group, they might not stick around, because that's where you really get to know people. So I really do encourage you to join a life group if you haven't already. Um, there's still space in mine if you're free on a Thursday morning. Little plug, taking advantage. Okay, so last week, um, Paul started our new series on emotional health, and he shared how when we become a Christian, when we get saved, if we want to use that Northern Ireland phrase, we experience salvation, we become a new creation, but we're also on an ongoing journey of sanctification that's just being transformed. And you know, God is interested in every single area of our lives if we will invite him in. He shared how the Holy Spirit ministers to us gently and graciously. Sometimes he has to perform heart surgery on us. And sometimes that can look messy, that can look painful. We can be upset by that. We can experience difficult emotions. But in this church, we are okay with difficult emotions. And last week, Paul invited us to think about the question that Jesus asked Bartimaeus in Mark chapter 10. What do you want me to do for you? And I hope that if you are here, you've had some time during the week to think about that. Um, what, that question, asking God, or God asking us. God's asking us, what do you want me to do for you? But I do believe that some of us need to really undergo radical transformation in our thinking to even enter into this process, to enter into this journey. And there's different reasons for that. You know, our culture in general doesn't necessarily encourage us to be open or to explore our emotions. I have heard so many times the phrase, well, people will tell me all this stuff, all these difficult things they're going through in their life like really awful things sometimes and then they'll finish the whole story with the phrase well you just have to get on with it or they'll pour out like really tough stuff like bereavement illness family breakdown really tough things and then they'll finish off the whole story which is really hard for them with the phrase well there's always someone worse off than me and you know those two things are potentially true. Yes, we can't just lie in a corner and sob. We do have to get on with it. And yes, if you have a hard think about it, there probably is someone who is worse off with you than you. But that doesn't mean that things don't affect you. That doesn't mean that you don't have feelings about those things. And in our culture, being emotional is sometimes viewed as being weak. And the guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but I do get the impression that sometimes guys especially are not encouraged to show emotion, that that is a sign of weakness. So our culture doesn't help. Also, perhaps our family background, where we've come from. You know, we absorb so much from our own families when we're little. You know, our parents too. They're a product of their own past, their own families. And sometimes in our families, certain emotions are a bit of a no-no. They're not permitted to be expressed. So maybe when you were growing up, if you got really angry, that was to shut down. You weren't allowed to get angry. Or maybe if you got sad, you got the message, oh, don't cry, dry your eyes, all those kind of things. So we all have different scripts or messages which we pick up from our families without even probably realizing it. And there's maybe some feelings that make us feel uncomfortable. So when you come across those, maybe in your workplace, if someone 
blows their top and gets really angry, you're immediately like, these inner alarm bells start going off and you don't even know why, you don't know where they've come from. And you feel anxious and you just wanna run away. So sometimes in our family we absorb things and that's no one's fault because we're all imperfect beings, but we absorb messages about our feelings. Maybe as well, our previous faith or church experiences put us off. You know, you might have been part of a church where you just had to put on a brave face, you know, put on your mask, pretend you've got a happy, smiley Christian life and pretend that everything's okay. A few years ago, I was working with this guy and like I've been around probably since the 90s, late 90s. Church is where it's okay to show your emotions. You can go to the front, you can get prayer. So to me, that was pretty normal. So I was just, this is like in a Christian organization with a Christian colleague, and I was just saying about, talking about church, and I must have said something about going up to the front to get prayer or something like that. And he said to me, my life would have to be falling apart before I would go up to the front to get prayer. And I was like really shocked, like really taken aback. But it was obviously not what he was familiar with or not what he was comfortable with. And to me, it seemed like he had this perception that you only really went up to the front for a prayer if your life was in the deepest crisis ever. Whereas to me, I just thought, well, actually, I thought I was quite brave going up to the front because I'm just saying, God, I need you. I want more of you in my life, you know, and no one knows what you're coming up for. So everyone's not looking going, oh, man, their life must be falling apart. And if they are, it's actually none of their business. So, like, when I first went to Soul Survivor and um, Watford Church, I was actually on the carpet most weeks, sniveling, soaking the floor, because God was just really doing stuff in my life, and I'm not embarrassed to say that at all. You know, maybe my colleague was worried about what other people would think of him, but to me, I was just saying yes to God. So I hope by now that if you've been part of this church, you know it's okay to come as you are and you don't have to put on your mask. You don't have to pretend everything's rosy in your garden. Sorry, I have to drink a drink. But in, other in some churches as well, we've put a real emphasis on spiritual formation, spiritual gifts, the Holy Spirit spiritual disciplines and a few years ago I did this counselling course and there's this tutor called Andrea Wigglesworth and as well as being a great counselling tutor she um, is at a church in Edinburgh and she's a really gifted bible teacher and church leader and she's spoken at different conferences here so we were learning all the things you learn in counselling like we're tripartite beings body soul spirit we're three made up of three and our souls are made up of our mind will and emotions i've probably told you this before because i really love all this stuff but she is a person from a church that's really open to the holy spirit she speaks at conferences she's prophetic she invites the holy spirit to come all the time and god shows up but she said to us and I won't do the Scottish accent. She spent a lot, she said, in our churches, we have spent a lot of time saying, come Holy Spirit, but are we in danger of raising a generation of poor wee souls? We need to also pay attention to our souls, which is our mind, will, and emotions. So the link between emotional health and spiritual maturity is a large, unexplored area of discipleship. And that's perhaps why some of us might feel uncomfortable even now. It's something we're not really used to, we've not really explored before. But Jesus was anything but an emotionally frozen Messiah. And Paul read out last week a whole list of different places where you can see in scripture where Jesus showed different emotions. 
And we obviously believe that God, Jesus was fully God, but also fully human. And that's clearly displayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. If you read that passage just before he went to the cross when he was betrayed, and you see the fully human Jesus, he was emotionally depressed, mentally confused, and spiritually overwhelmed. He was pushed to the edge of his human limits. And in Luke 22, verse 44, it says, And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. So if we're going to follow Jesus completely and become more like him, we can't ignore this part of us. We can't shut down our emotions. And a question I have for you guys today is, is your inner world in sync with your outer behavior? So you might look like you're doing all the right things. You might be working hard at serving people, showing forgiveness, humbling yourself, being joyful. But in the inside, you're really knotted up. You're miserable and you can't admit it. You don't want to admit it even to yourself. And the Bible has a word for that gap that Jesus used towards the religious leaders. And it's a strong word, but it's hypocrisy, which literally means play acting. So our exterior world, the people we relate to, the things going on around us, they might be different from what's going on inside of us, which represents what we feel, what we love, what we hate, what we honor, what we esteem, what we believe in. And how can we love God? How can we obey the the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, if we don't know our own heart, soul, and mind? So there might be things beneath the surface. There are things beneath the surface of each and every one of us that we can't see. Maybe they might even only come out when we're really stressed. But Jesus wants to change those things and transform them. And that takes time. It's hard work. And to understand the world of our feelings, our thoughts, our desires, and our hope in its richness and and its complexity, it takes time and it takes work. And it could be painful for us to take that first long, deep look into our hearts. This isn't a happy, clappy message this morning, you've probably realized. But it is what we feel God's saying. Jeremiah 17, 9 to 10 in the message. The heart is hopelessly dark and deceitful, a puzzle that no one can figure out. But I, God, search the heart and examine the mind. I get to the heart of the human. I get to the root of things. I treat them as they really are, not as they pretend to be. You know, if we go right back to the fall, that separated us from God. It created divisions amongst humans, Adam and Eve, and within ourselves. Shame, loneliness, hiding, self-preservation, lying, other emotional pain marked Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3 and they've been part of the human condition ever since and that means you and I. And who of us has not experienced these negative emotions at some point? Um, Whenever I was thinking about this, I remembered this. This is one of my earliest memories that I have. When I was six and Peter was four, my mum and dad took us on a holiday to Spain, and um, we had, it's funny, um, Sam's not here, I was thinking of him when I was thinking about this, we had this red Toyota Carina registration RIA 6640, this is like an episode of Top Gear, they were talking about how you always, you can hardly remember your own registration, but you remember your parents one years ago, and my mum and dad drove us from our house in Whitehead crossed over to Scotland, all the way down through England and down through France and drove to Spain. And we had this little bed on the back seat that we used to lie down on. 
And we picked up this family along the way that mum and dad knew he lived in near London and we got the ferry and everything and we went on this holiday. But I really remember, as well as remembering like silly details about that holiday, like the colour of the car, the registration, I always also remember feelings that I had on that holiday. And one time I remember being really upset and I think maybe my mum had told me off, like I probably deserved it. I, don't, I can't even remember what I actually did. But I remember, I think my dad picked me up, I'll have to ask him after, and I just remember like really, you know, going into him and really crying and he said, what's wrong with you? Are you embarrassed? And I remember thinking, yes, I'm embarrassed. And that, like I obviously had some cognition of what embarrassment meant at a young age, but it was shame. I always experienced a sense of shame because I didn't really know that other family very well and I was probably embarrassed and shamed that my, I had done something wrong because I was quite a good girl and I, well, I think I was and I didn't like to do things wrong and B, because my mum had told me off in front of these people I didn't know very well. So I was feeling a sense of shame and I'm sure all of us, if we cast our minds back and we might not have to cast them back very far, can remember those times when we felt those emotions of of shame or sadness or grief or whatever and they're part of who we are and sometimes for different reasons we don't always learn to process them in a very helpful way and we can understand it all intellectually but it's another thing to integrate all of this deeply and put it into practice. So this morning I wanted to quickly look at the biblical character of Saul to help us understand perhaps what not to do, what emotional unhealth looks like. So Saul in the Bible, he started off well, he had great potential, he was chosen to be king, he was anointed by God, and 1 Samuel 15, he's given a message from the Lord through the prophet Samuel, the one who anointed him. He's commanded by God to muster an army of Israel to go up against the Amalekites and basically wipe them out. And what happens is he partially obeys, he doesn't destroy them totally as he was told to do and he keeps the good bit, he keeps the treasure, he keeps the spoils and he doesn't go all the way with God and do what God told him to do. So Andrew is going to quickly read a wee bit from 1 Samuel 15 and we'll pick up there. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel, I am grieved that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was troubled and he cried out to the Lord all that night. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul, but he was told, Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone on down to Gilgal. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, the Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel said, what then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? Saul answered, the soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and the cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but we totally destroyed the rest. Stop, Samuel said to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul replied. Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed your king over Israel, and he sent you on a mission saying, Go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Make war on them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. 
I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag their king. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Thank you. So Saul thinks it's all fine. He thinks he's kind of done what he was meant to do. In verse 13 he says, but I carried out the Lord's instructions. So everything looks pretty good on the surface, but he's never really letting fully letting God in underneath. Verse 23 speaks of rebellion and arrogance. And these, I'm just going to quickly say three characteristics of emotionally unhealthy spirituality that we see in Saul. First of all, Saul says no to reflection and self-awareness. So he looks like he's doing all the right things. He's praying. He's doing God's will. But underneath, you can see he's very concerned about the approval of other people. And like even later in the chapter when he repents, he admits he sinned. But he wants Samuel to come with him to honor him before the people. And he's actually unaware of the fears that are dominating his life, what he's doing, his fear of what other people think. Verse 24, after this, he says, I have sinned. I have violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the men, so I gave in to them. So he also has a lot of jealousy in his life as well. If you read through 1 Samuel, he doesn't want other people to be more popular than him, to look better than him. And he gets so jealous of David as he grows in popularity. He becomes so consumed by that that he actually tries to have David killed a number of times. He tries to murder him. So he's acting out of anger and blame and envy. His spirituality is shallow and he's not really paying attention to God. He's making decisions out of fear. And I was wondering, obviously we're not hopefully trying to kill anyone, but is that you or I? Are we sitting in a leaders meeting or in a staff meeting at work? Are we doing all the right things, but inside we're resenting other people? We're comparing ourselves, we're jealous of someone else, we're worried about what other people think. And rather than get alone with God and bring these feelings to him, are we pushing them away? Are we singing the songs in church, but inside we're mad with God about something and we're not willing to talk to him about it? Are we making our career choices or parenting out of fear? Is there something that we need to call someone on that we need to confront them about? But because we're afraid of conflict, we just bury our head in the sand and hope that it'll go away. Or we don't want to tell them the whole thing, so we just end up telling them half-hearted truths. You know, sometimes we do know what God's calling us to do. We know his will, but it's too emotionally painful to go down that road. So we just avoid it. It requires reflection and self-awareness. You know, we can live as one way above the surface, but have a different reality underneath. And that can just happen slowly along the way. And another thing is when we do go deeper, when we're brave, when we make that choice and explore these feelings, what we discover there actually might not be very nice. It might not be pleasant. You know, it's not nice to feel guilty, to feel sad, to feel shame. And sometimes it's easier, like it's almost like dipping your toe in the water and you're like, it's too cold, I can't go there. It's easier to pull back and pretend the feelings aren't there or they don't exist or just push it away and move on. 
But staying in touch with God requires us to spend time alone, looking at our motives, our feelings and thoughts. And we can't really be in touch with God fully if we're not in touch with ourselves. And Saul is not in touch with who he really is. You know, perhaps we're praying, but are we bringing our true selves to God? Are we just bringing the part that we think he'll like or approve of, as if he doesn't already know? We end up with a spirituality that's not reality. And we keep ourselves busy so we don't have to do anything about it. So I really encourage you all this morning to take time to pause and reflect. Silence and solitude are necessary to understand what we're really thinking and feeling. We have the pressure of society, culture, our past, and for some of us the need to conform to what other people think. And if you look at the life of David further on, he spends loads of time contemplating. He pours out his conflicted inner self to God. And you know, David's conflicts weren't different from Saul's. They're not different to yours or mine. But the difference with David is he takes the time to pour them out to God. Loads of times I was reading through 1 Samuel, it says, David inquired of the Lord. He asks God. Saul just keeps on going and making decisions and moving along and doing things for God. But he's unaware, he's unreflective, and he just is living on autopilot. Another thing that Saul does that is not helpful is he says no to cultivating his personal relationship with God. So God touches his life very early on. He receives the blessing of the Holy Spirit. He's anointed king, but he doesn't do anything with this. He slides on an autopilot and when you read through, there's no evidence of his hidden life with God apparent in the scriptures. He wants to be known by people. He likes the public recognition that this position gives him. And when God speaks to him, he obeys the parts that are good and that he likes. But if, he, if it's, it's going to mean like coming up against people, experiencing people's disapproval, if his men, if his soldiers don't like it, then he just kind of ignores that bit and has selective hearing. So in verse 22 that Andrea read there, it's really pointed, it's really sharp, a sharp word in the Old Testament and to us today. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better to sacrifice. You know, our burnt offerings and our sacrifices could be our religious activity, what we're doing. And obeying here is the same as listening. Are we listening to God or are we on autopilot? Have we had that initial encounter, but now we're not cultivating a deeper relationship? You know, Saul thinks he's doing all the right things, he's obeying, but the words rebellion and arrogance are pretty strong. We see in the scripture he repents, but it's a short-lived thing. He just goes back to the same way he was before. He just does the same things again. He's not inquiring about God and saying, well, how does this apply to me? What are you saying to me, God? What do I need to change under the surface that is going to motivate my behavior? I know you could be sitting here this morning thinking about this talk. You could be analyzing it and you could be thinking, oh, Shantz is a bit boring this morning or she could have used that scripture a bit better or, well, I would have said this or you know, she should have done another story or whatever. You know, you can analyze things intellectually, but if we're cultivating a personal relationship with God, we're bypassing and we're saying, how does that apply to me? Even if you're struggling to pay attention, you can still ask yourself, God, what are you saying to me through this today? What is this for me? It's personal. 
And it's easy to have an intellectual Christianity in your head, but is it experienced in your heart? And that's the difference between Saul and David. For David, it was personal. He was asking, what's God saying? And Saul just didn't bother. It was too much energy. You know, speaking about this on Sundays, if we're going to do this series, that's a starting point. You know, if we just go from week to week and forget about it in between, you know, it's not really going to change anything in us. We need to take responsibility for our own spiritual lives and no one else can do that but us. You know, it's not, we don't want to be a soul and blame other people. The last thing about Saul was, we see, he says no to being broken through setbacks and difficulties. And every one of us here will experience setbacks and difficulties. That's just part of life. But Saul refuses to be broken by it. He just carries on going. Earlier in chapter 13 in 1 Samuel, he's told to wait by the prophet Samuel. And when he doesn't arrive, Saul just takes all the matters into his own hands. He listens to the men around him. And instead of obeying God, he just does the sacrifice himself. He doesn't want to, he doesn't like feeling uncomfortable. He doesn't want to wait. He doesn't want to depend on God. And Hebrews 5, 7 to 9 says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son, though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Jesus learned obedience from what he suffered. And when testing comes to Saul, he doesn't submit to God. He doesn't learn and become stronger from it. He doesn't inquire of God. He doesn't humble himself. He doesn't develop that depth of character like David. And there might be times when we feel tested, when we're betrayed, when we face setbacks. And God can meet us in our brokenness if we will let him. Peter Scazzaro, who wrote the book Emotionally Healthy Church, talks about his journey of how he came to explore all of this stuff. And it's really good. Well, it was hard for him, but it was good that God spoke to him. And he said this, My failure to pay attention to God and to what was going on inside me caused me to miss many gifts. God lovingly came and spoke to me through my pain, inviting me to change, but I just wasn't listening. I never expected God to meet me through such feelings as sadness, depression, and anger. And I've said this before in church. I'm sorry, guys, for this analogy, but it is a bit like childbirth. Counter to our intuition, the solution is to lean into the pain. If you're on the threshold of new life, a baby's about to be born. But what comes before that? Labor. It's hard work. Labor comes first. And sometimes we experience pain, depression, sadness, anger, and we become afraid of that pain. So we tense up and we hold back. But that only makes the pain worse. It doesn't just disappear by magic. It doesn't go away. It's a bit like being a caterpillar in a little cocoon. It becomes more pain. If the caterpillar didn't break free, it would become more painful to stay in that little tight shell and that little tight home than to break free and unfold our new wings. Sarah Bessie says, we fight the very thing that is meant to free us. It is only by releasing ourselves, giving ourselves fully over to the pain and riding its cleansing wave that we find new life. So the emotionally healthy person says yes, not no. We say yes to reflection and self-awareness. 
even if that isn't our experience of growing up, even if it's not what we've experienced in different faith life or church life, and even if others around us aren't going to choose it, we can still say yes. We say yes to cultivating personal relationship with God, and we say yes to being broken through setbacks and discouragement and to depending on God through those times. You know, coming out of being a soul is a path. It's a journey. It's ongoing. It's not a one-time moment. It's not like, you know, if you respond today, you're going to walk out and everything's like your life is perfect. It's not like you're even going to listen to all these talks and at the end of it, we're all going to be this amazing, perfect church full of perfect people. We're always on a journey. We're always growing. We're always learning. You can hear from us on Sundays, but we need to keep pressing into this stuff. Think about it during the week. Maybe get the book, read it, or read the Bible through different lenses. Look at the characters, look at how they're responding to God through setbacks. Share with your friends, talk about it in life group, put it into practice. You know, this isn't the whole of Christianity. This is just one part of it, but it is the part that we feel like God is calling us together to grow in for this season. So I really want to encourage you all, you know, if you're feeling uncomfortable, lean in, don't run away, lean in. And maybe you can't see what, maybe you're excited in a way, in a weird kind of way, you're like, yes, I want to be free, I want to be more emotionally healthy. Maybe you're excited a bit to see what God's going to do next, but also you're a bit frightened and that's okay. It's okay to feel like that because we're all together on a process, on a journey, always learning, always growing. So this is discipleship's next frontier, um, emotional health. It's like Star Wars, we're crossing over to another level, another frontier. We talked about discipleship next term, and the, or last term, and this is just one part of it, emotional health. And I just really want to invite you to join us on this journey together. There is a little survey that you can do online. Um, It's on emotionallyhealthy.org and I will post the link on Facebook and try to email it out to you all this week. And I just really want to encourage you, that's one thing you could do during the week. It only takes a few minutes. Do the little survey online, be honest, answer the questions honestly and it will tell you areas of emotional health that you can grow in. It's something that you can do just as a practical tool to help you think about all these kind of things. So I'm going to ask the band to come up. But I'm just going to spend some time. We're just going to pray because we've got loads of time this morning. We're just going to pray and invite God to come and see what he wants to do. And then we're going to worship together. I'd love to invite you all to stand if that's okay. And Lord, we're just um, thankful that you care about every part of our lives. That you leave no stone unturned and that's because you love us. 
because you want the best for us, because you want us to be free. So we just invite you to come now, Holy Spirit. Just invite you to be here with us, to speak to us. Thank you, God. Thank you for your presence. Lord, we just wait for you. welcome God and I just pray in our hearts we'll remember that question that God's asking us what do you want me to do for you and in your own hearts just answer him now just tell him what you want him to do what you need from him this morning. And he's not afraid of any answer. And I think there's some of us here who are experiencing that discomfort we're experiencing maybe setbacks or things in our lives that are causing us pain. And our natural reaction is to shut that down or run away from that. But God is trying to teach us something through that, through those difficult times. And if that's you, we'd love to pray for you. We'd love to stand with you in the pain. Be like the midwife, help you push through that for the new life that God has for you on the other side. And there is new life on the other side. There's pain and there's labor, but out of that comes something new. Some of you feel like you're in that cocoon. You're t it's too tight. You're too, you're too closed in. You want to be free. You want to break out of that. And it's hard and we want to help you. We want to stand with you. We want to pray with you. And then there's some other people here and you don't want to look like Saul, like on the surface you're doing the right thing. You want to go deeper with God. You want to cultivate that deeper relationship with him. You know that there's more and you just, you don't almost know how, but you know you want more of him. You, don't, you want to be like David who pours out his inner thoughts, his inner life to God. So if you want to move away from being a Saul and being a David, we'd love to pray for you as well. 
So if any of those things apply, we're just going to worship in a minute, but why don't you come and some of the guys who are able to pray, why don't you come and stand here? And we'd love to stand with you and pray.